Judicial Review The way the Constitution is understood is influenced by court decisions, especially those of the Supreme Court. These decisions are referred to as precedents. Judicial review is the power of the court to examine federal legislation, federal executive, and all state branches of government, to decide their constitutionality, and to strike them down if found unconstitutional. Judicial review includes the power of the court to explain the meaning of the Constitution as it applies to particular cases. Over the years, court decisions on issues ranging from governmental regulation of radio and television to the rights of the accused in criminal cases have changed the way many constitutional clauses are interpreted without amendment to the actual text of the Constitution. Legislation passed to implement the Constitution, or to adapt those implementations to changing conditions, broadens and, in subtle ways, changes the meanings given to the words of the Constitution. Up to a point, the rules and regulations of the many federal executive agencies have a similar effect. If an action of Congress or the agencies is challenged, however, it is the court system that ultimately decides whether these actions are permissible under the Constitution. The Supreme Court has indicated that once the Constitution has been extended to an area, by Congress or the courts, its coverage is irrevocable. To hold that the political branches may switch the Constitution on or off at will would lead to a regime in which they, not this court, say what the law is. Scope and Theory Courts established by the Constitution can regulate government under the Constitution, the supreme law of the land. First, they have jurisdiction over actions by an officer of government and state law. Second, Federal courts may rule on whether coordinate branches of national government conform to the Constitution. Until the 20th century, the Supreme Court of the United States may have been the only high tribunal in the world to use a court for constitutional interpretation of fundamental law, others generally depending on their national legislature. The basic theory of American judicial review is summarized by constitutional legal scholars and historians as follows, the written Constitution is fundamental law. It can change only by extraordinary legislative process of national proposal, then state ratification. The powers of all departments are limited to enumerated grants found in the Constitution. Courts are expected, a. to enforce provisions of the Constitution as the supreme law of the land, and, b. to refuse to enforce anything in conflict with it. In convention. As to judicial review in the Congress, the first proposals by Madison, Pa, and Wilson, Pa, called for a Supreme Court veto over national legislation. In this it resembled the system in New York, where the Constitution of 1777 called for a council of revision by the governor and justices of the state Supreme Court. The council would review and in a way, veto any past legislation violating the spirit of the Constitution before it went into effect. The Nationalist proposal in convention was defeated three times, and replaced by a presidential veto with congressional override. Judicial review relies on the jurisdictional authority in Article 3, and the Supremacy Clause. The justification for judicial review is to be explicitly found in the open ratifications held in the states and reported in their newspapers. John Marshall in Virginia, James Wilson in Pennsylvania and Oliver Ellsworth of Connecticut all argued for Supreme Court judicial review of acts of state legislature. In Federalist No. 78, Alexander Hamilton advocated the doctrine of a written document held as a superior enactment of the people. A limited constitution can be preserved in practice no other way than through courts which can declare void any legislation contrary to the constitution. The preservation of the people's authority over legislatures rests particularly with judges. The Supreme Court was initially made up of jurists who had been intimately connected with the framing of the constitution and the establishment of its government as law. John Jay, New York, a co-author of the Federalist Papers, served as Chief Justice for the first six years. The second and third Chief Justices, Oliver Ellsworth, Connecticut, and John Rutledge, South Carolina, 
were delegates to the Constitutional Convention. Washington's recess appointment as Chief Justice who served in 1795. John Marshall, Virginia, the fourth Chief Justice, had served in the Virginia Ratification Convention in 1788. His 34 years of service on the court would see some of the most important rulings to help establish the nation the Constitution had begun. Other early members of the Supreme Court who had been delegates to the Constitutional Convention included James Wilson, Pennsylvania, for 10 years, John Blair Jr., Virginia, for five, and John Rutledge, South Carolina, for one year as Justice, then Chief Justice in 1795. Establishment When John Marshall followed Oliver Ellsworth as Chief Justice of the Supreme Court in 1801, the federal judiciary had been established by the Judiciary Act, but there were few cases, and less prestige. The fate of judicial review was in the hands of the Supreme Court itself. Review of state legislation and appeals from state Supreme Courts was understood. But the court's life, jurisdiction over state legislation was limited. The Marshall Court's landmark Baron v. Baltimore held that the Bill of Rights restricted only the federal government, and not the states. In the landmark Marbury v. Madison case, the Supreme Court asserted its authority of judicial review over acts of Congress. Its findings were that Marbury and the others had a right to their commissions as judges in the District of Columbia. Marshall, writing the opinion for the majority, announced his discovered conflict between Section 13 of the Judiciary Act of 1789 and Article 3. In this case, both the Constitution and the statutory law applied to the particulars at the same time. The very essence of judicial duty according to Marshall was to determine which of the two conflicting rules should govern. The Constitution enumerates powers of the judiciary to extend to cases arising under the Constitution. Further, justices take a constitutional oath to uphold it as supreme law of the land. Therefore, since the United States government is created by the Constitution as a limited government, the federal courts were required to choose the Constitution over congressional law if there were deemed to be a conflict. This argument has been ratified by time and by practice, the Supreme Court did not declare another act of Congress unconstitutional until the controversial Dred Scott decision in 1857, held after the voided Missouri Compromise statute had already been repealed. In the 80 years following the Civil War to World War II, the court voided congressional statutes in 77 cases, on average almost one a year. Something of a crisis arose when, in 1935 and 1936, the Supreme Court handed down 12 decisions voiding acts of Congress relating to the New Deal. President Franklin D. Roosevelt then responded with his abortive court packing plan. Other proposals have suggested a court supermajority to overturn congressional legislation, or a constitutional amendment to require that the justices retire at a specified age by law. To date, the Supreme Court's power of judicial review has persisted. Self-restraint. The power of judicial review could not have been preserved long in a democracy unless it had been wielded with a reasonable measure of judicial restraint, and with some attention, as Mr. Dooley said, to the election returns. Indeed, the Supreme Court has developed a system of doctrine and practice that self-limits its power of judicial review. The court controls almost all of its business by choosing what cases to consider, writs of certiorari. In this way, it can avoid opinions on embarrassing or difficult cases. The Supreme Court limits itself by defining for itself what is a justiciable question. First, the court is fairly consistent in refusing to make any advisory opinions in advance of actual cases. Second, friendly suits between those of the same legal interest are not considered. Third, the court requires a personal interest, not one generally held, and a legally protected right must be immediately threatened by government action. Cases are not taken up if the litigant has no standing to sue. Simply having the money to sue and being injured by government action are not enough. 
These three procedural ways of dismissing cases have led critics to charge that the Supreme Court delays decisions by unduly insisting on technicalities in their standards of litigability. They say cases are left unconsidered which are in the public interest, with genuine controversy, and resulting from good faith action. The Supreme Court is not only a court of law but a court of justice. The text of this podcast is sourced from the Wikipedia Foundation under a Creative Commons attribution, share alike license. The written text has been altered for voice presentation. To view the modified and original text versions visit thelegalpages.com. The content of this podcast is presented for informational purposes only, and is not intended to be legal or professional advice. The Wikipedia Foundation is not affiliated with this podcast.